Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and today my guest is Patrick Shugru. Patrick built his first tiny house on wheels in 1973 on the back of a 1949 Dodge flatbed truck. He has been involved in building green, high-performance homes for over 30 years with special interest in passive solar design, energy efficiency, and innovative products. He and his wife, Jill, hand-built their own home north of Vancouver, Washington with structural insulated panels, or SIPs, over 20 years ago. He has been using SIPs in his designs ever since and now brings this experience to tiny houses on wheels, accessory dwelling units, and small ground-bound cabins, cottages, studios, and workshops. If you've never heard of SIPs before or you've heard of them but aren't quite sure what they are, then this episode is for you. SIPs have quickly become one of the standards in tiny house building, both for their efficiency, their weight, their strength, and just the overall speed at which they allow you to put together a tiny house. In this conversation with Patrick, we touch on the basics, such as what are the benefits of building with SIPs, what are SIPs, what do they look like, how do you put them together, and then we get into some more technical things like a detailed rundown of the building process, uh, handling wiring and plumbing, what are the environmental concerns of SIPs, and other questions and concerns that I've heard about these materials. Let's get on with the interview. Patrick, welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Thanks, Ethan. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. So I, I was hoping we could start out just by having you explain, you know, what are SIPs for those who don't know about them and have never heard of them? Sure. It's a product that's been around for over 40 years. It's a real simple product. It's a oriented strand board, but it's not the typical 4 by 8 boards you're used to at the uh, home building store. The panels start out, they're 8 feet wide and 24 feet long. Uh, they're and they have different thicknesses of foam glued in between them. And typically it's expanded polystyrene and a newer version that has graphite in it. It's a gray foam. And the graphite is a benign fire retardant, but it also upped the R value by one per inch. And they are glued together in a big press. And it's uh, kind of like a Boeing jet. Uh, here. If you know what the fuselage is like, it's a little tiny piece of plastic on the inside, a little bit of honeycomb or, or foam insulation, and then a little thin sheet of aluminum. And the same thing happens when you put several different products together, you get more strength than you would with any one of them by themselves. And so through that, you're able to achieve a rigid panel that, that doesn't require any studs, correct? Well, minimal studs. Uh, anytime you punch a hole in it or cut a hole for a window or door, you need to put lumber around that opening to close that up as far as the, the forces working on it so that it becomes one unit again. What are the benefits of building with SIPs versus, you know, a traditional stick-framed home? Sure. Well, I got started with them. Uh, I used to design passive solar homes, and it found out early on it's easy to get solar gain into a building. You just throw a bunch of glass on the south side and point it at the sun. The difficult part was getting it to stay in there. Um, of course, you can bring down solar shades at night, but the walls and the roofs of buildings back, this is 30, 35 years ago, uh, were very leaky. 
lots of wood that became a thermal bridge and it, the types of insulation we we're using just weren't adequate. So as I worked with that conundrum, uh, I came across structural insulated panels and went, wow, this is, this is an easy solution. Today, when we talk about high performance buildings, it really boils down to three things, a passive house. Uh, when it came from Germany, a, a standard for building a couple of years ago, um, reminded us that it's critical that buildings don't leak a bunch of air. So that's one thing we need to reduce the amount of air that goes through a building. And in passive house, they like to do it to six tenths of an air change, but that is not the only magic number. The, uh, the other thing is thermal bridging. As long as we build buildings with studs every 16 inches, you have a thermal bridge there. So for instance, if you took a 24 foot long wall and shoved all the two bys down to one end, you might have three or four feet of solid wood. That's R1 per inch instead of with a four inch SIP panel with the gray phone, you'd have an R20. So that's quite a bit. And then the other one is the amount of insulation. Uh, our codes are always going to lag behind because the building industry as a whole would rather spend money on granite countertops and things you can show your neighbors and your friends than stuff that actually makes the building perform better. So those three things, minimal thermal bridging, uh, air, keeping the air leaking low and more insulation than code requires. Got it. So I'm guessing that, and correct me if I'm wrong, that, that most tiny houses that are built with SIPs go with a four-inch wall. Is that correct? Or are people using six or eight-inch? Right. Yeah, because of the height restrictions, um, and most of our, well, we mostly work on the West Coast, so our climate's somewhat mild, a little more uh, challenging when you cross the mountains to the east. But the R20, with a couple hundred square feet, works really well. We had a, our model sitting out here last winter, and we heated it all winter with a thousand watt wall heater. That's the size of a small hair dryer. But we do use the six inch four roofs and floors in some instances. That's that's great. I can tell you from experience, uh, my tiny house is, uh, you know, 16 on center framed stick built house um, with spray foam. So I do have, you know, close to R20 in the walls. But as you mentioned, there are those thermal bridges and I have a lot of windows in the house, potentially more windows than I really need. Um, so, you know, my heating needs are, are definitely higher than a thousand watt space heater here in Vermont where we can, you know, experience temperatures well below zero. Sure. You probably have eight or 9,000 degree days there, but you brought, up, you brought up a good point there, Ethan. And as a building designer, that's one of the things that's most challenging for me is helping people to not get carried away with windows for a couple of reasons. Uh, one that you already mentioned that, you know, when you get too many, the, the R value of a good window is about an R2. Uh, yes, you can wow. do better, but uh, for all intents and purposes, an R2 is about it. And uh, so you're going along, you got an R20 wall, and then you cut a big chunk out of it and make it R2. You've got a lot of heat moving back and forth through that. So yep. I've, what I've found is that uh, about 15% uh, of the floor area should be in the windows. Any more than that, you're going to overheat in the summer and uh, make it hard to heat in the wintertime. I mean, it's not hard and fast, but uh, it's, I know a lot of the television shows show houses with glass all over the place, half the wall or all the walls glass. And it, 
I just have to shake my head because I know that's not unlivable. It looks cute on paper, but it's not really good in the world. Can you tell me about the eureka moment when you realized that SIPs would be awesome for for a tiny house on wheels and and kind of how that all came to be? Okay. Well, I don't think it was really an eureka moment. I've been building homes and commercial buildings with SIPs for over 20 years. And uh, the when the banksters back east ruined the economy, it ruined the construction industry especially hard and green building even harder. So I was limping along through the depression and I started hearing more about people wanting to do smaller homes again. Um, it was a no-brainer to do it with SIPs. One of my <clears throat> problems in life is I've been ahead of the curve much of my life. So I'd put up a website, Artisan Tiny House, and just waited instead of chasing a market that may or may not be there. And finally, we had our first client call and said, hey, I want to build a tiny house, and I'm pretty sure I want to do it with SIPs. So we uh, told him that this is going to be a prototype, and uh, it uh, worked out great and still have a friend. It was a lot of fun, and since then, we've got 35 people with kits. Our goal there is really to help people, because I am a builder and I um, have worked with uh, engineers and building contractors and um, for many, many years, I, I want to help people get off to a good start with their project with a trailer that's designed to handle the loads that we impose on it and a well-built structure that will stand the, the loads also and give them the energy efficiency I know is so important. Yeah, maybe you could tell me a little bit more about the process of building a tiny house with SIPs and, and maybe how it differs from stick framing a house. Okay. Well, before we get to that, if I can, if I, I'd like to start with the design process we use. Yeah, absolutely. Because I, I think that's important. That I, as I work with clients in all sizes of homes, although we're, as, we, as I'm maturing, a euphemism for getting older, I'm reducing the size of the projects I work on all the time. But the, uh, to start with the big things first and then move into the, the details, it's interesting when I have a client come and they immediately want to start talking about where the fold-down uh, ironing board is going to go. And I have to back them up. Let's do the big picture first. And so with a tiny house, we do it with, you know, what width do you want? Uh, with our kits, we do offer three different widths. And then what length? And most of the time, my clients come to me and they've been playing with sketches and talking to their friends and been to tiny house hotels or uh, jamborees or gatherings where they've had a chance to take a look at different ones. So they know what length. So after the width and the length, then we go to what uh, roof style and because uh, that can play a large part in whether it's going to meet their goals. And for their goals, one of the things I do is try to help people to identify what I call drivers. Um, what are the main things that you want from your home? Is it, um, you know, if you're building it for one of the TV shows, you might want it to be the glitziest, uh, coolest, uh, all automated or something else. But for most people I work with, it's, um, you know, something livable. And so I'll, for my goals or my drivers are energy efficiency, simple design, easy to build, and then ask them to layer on top of them those goals or drivers, what they want to accomplish. So then we've got the design part done. 
Then with the SIPs, we use it for all, all the services. We use them for the floor, and the walls, and the roof. And uh, we start out with templates to make it easy. We don't start with a clean sheet of paper every time. We already know that we're going to build, because the panels come in 4 and 8 and 12 and 2-foot increments, we, uh, we do it with 4-foot on our trailers, 12, 16, 20, 24, 28. So um, one of the big things we've learned over the years in watching people restore old travel trailers was how many of the floors have rotted out on those. <clears throat> we know that steel sweats just like a concrete foundation does. And you have to separate wood from steel. We use a half inch plywood pressure treated to separate it so that it doesn't rot out. And then we put the uh, set panels down and bolt that to the trailer. And we use a pattern of every two feet on center all the way around with half inch bolts. Then the floor plates are, are part of that assembly. They're bolted on with it. And then the panels stand up on that edge. The panels are routed out at each edge to receive a two by. And uh, once the walls are all up, then we uh, do the roof and we use a little lift to get the panels up there. Got it. And so the kit, when you sell somebody a kit, it sounds like they are receiving an assembled SIPs house. Is that correct? No, it's a, a trailer, a flat pack. They're all flat on the trailer when it shows up. And then uh, they assemble their crew. We like to have at least four people. You know, usually it's friends and family, and usually more people come and go throughout the day. We just did one up in the Columbia River Gorge, and we had, oh, I don't know, six or eight people all together, but I try to get a core crew of about four people. So we, uh, when we start doing it, a couple of people are uh, going through the pile of panels, and we, we typically sort that as we take them off the trailer, but they're getting the next panel we want, getting it oriented, getting magic on it. They hand it off to the crew that's on the trailer and they'll stand it up and the first two people will go grab the next panel and it goes on like that. Typically it takes about a day and a half to assemble a kit into a shell on the trailer. And that's a day and a half for, for people who maybe haven't done it before or is that a day and a half with maybe a, some professional help? No, it's uh, most of the time it's people that uh, uh, don't spend their time reading a tape measure and using a hammer. So we we do a lot of times we start with a safety meeting and then we we talk about the tools and uh, about reading a tape measure. It's because it's nice if everybody's on the same page. And uh, I was going to be a shop teacher one time, but I turned around and realized they were all teenagers. Didn't want to do that. So we teach adults and we have a lot of fun with it. Well, that's amazing. I mean, one and a half days to basically have a house that's roughed in or almost there. Yep. And if they have their windows and doors and their roofing and siding on site, um, and they have a couple people that actually are carpenter types, by the end of the week, that next week, they can have it completely closed in. Yeah, that's that's really fantastic. Like I say, we want to get them off to a good start and so that they have a good chance of finishing the project. Yes, because nothing nothing is sadder to me than seeing a tiny house project that had to be abandoned due to running out of time or money or combination of the two. Mm-hmm. Or just energy, yeah. What about, you know, wiring and plumbing? Because I, I have seen 
not like nightmares, but I've definitely heard from people who are working with SIPs at their frustration or just the challenge of trying to plow channels for for wiring using like a hot ball bearing. Is that something that can be thought through and designed into the SIP so that it doesn't have to be done manually later? Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I'm surprised you've heard stories like that because all the manufacturers we work with put what we call chases, which are an inch to an inch and a half hole or channel through the, the SIPs. And horizontally, they're usually around 16 inches and 45, 48 and then there's also a vertical in every two to four feet. So they're using, there shouldn't be a whole lot of, I mean, I, you know, I, I have a, a lead ball in my toolbox and a, a piece of stainless wire that it hangs on. And I have had to use it a few times in my life, but not many. But part of that is I try to plan my lighting so it's simple. Um, let's say we want to have a, you know, I don't have a lot of ceiling lights. We have them on the wall. Sconces are a nice way to go. So if you have a sconce on the wall, we know that if we use the vertical channel and put it on that and the right down from it, three or four feet is going to be a horizontal at 48 place for a switch. So if we put the switch right below it, it just makes it easy. Um, We can make it hard. We can put the switch on the opposite wall, 10 feet away. It does add complexity and and another thing with uh, wiring that makes it easy is that what, something I learned with the log home people, just make a wide baseboard where they run all their wires and they can even run the, or mount the outlets right on that instead of having to cut into the panels or into the logs. It's just an easy way to do it. It's not, um, you know, it's about six or eight inches high on the base of the wall. It's out about an inch, an inch and a half. It's not a hundred... Yeah, it's not real obtrusive. And again, one of my drivers is make it simple to build. Do you actually manufacture the SIPs yourself or are you kind of um, on the design and you kind of have designs that you then connect with a manufacturer to deliver those packages? Right. Um, we typically work with manufacturers. I don't I don't have a factory to do that. And with the, um, the way the building industry works in the United States today, you have to have hundreds of thousands of dollars to have testing done and reports written to show that the panels work, even though everybody uses the same OSB, the same glue, you know, it's just, uh, it's just one of the things that happens. So in the, on the West coast, we have a couple major manufacturers we work with and, uh, but we have reached out and we've worked with one in um, Massachusetts and Mississippi and uh, Texas on a couple of projects. Um, they're a little bit harder because I'm not there to guide the clients through it, although we do have written instructions and we have videos on our YouTube channel, as well as YouTube is full of different SIP videos. And what about the trailers? Is there a specific trailer manufacturer that you like to work with? Uh, there's a couple here in the Northwest that we work with, and uh, we have plans that we sell on our website if people are further away. Again, my main goal here is to help people get a good start on their home. So uh, when people are outside of my delivery area, you know, if I can't drive there in a day, they're, they're probably beyond my reach. And uh, then we want to help them with the, with the plans for a trailer that they can take to a, a local manufacturer. Uh, and then the SIPs can be, they can take that trailer then to the, manu- to the factory and pick up their SIPs and head on home with them. 
Got it. Yeah, no, that that sounds like a really helpful service to offer. And it sounds like you mentioned that you you are on house number 35 or you've done about 35. Right. Yep, and they varied from uh, a 16-footer up all the way up to a 36-foot-long fifth wheel. We've done a couple of those now. And I have people call, can you do a 40 or a 44? And I have to say no. 36 is as long as I want to work with. And I think beyond that, it's getting beyond tiny. I'm guessing that the, the materials themselves could be that big. It's just more going beyond the, the concept of tiny. Right. Yeah, at some point you have to switch to a manual park model chassis instead of a utility style or fifth wheel horse type trailer or something like that, which is the the realm that we have designed ours in. And so it's more like a manufactured home at some point. And I just just decided I don't want to go there. Yeah, that that absolutely makes sense. I'm always amazed when I built my house in 2012 it's on a 22 foot trailer and that was on the bigger end of tiny houses and now it's probably smaller than what most people consider right yeah yeah mostly people want 24s and 28s or the 32 and 36 now <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm curious about people who are either chemically sensitive or concerned about using a spray foam type product. Can you speak to the safety of the materials in the SIPs? You bet. Yeah, that, that comes up all the time. And uh, so we have two products there to worry about. One is the oriented strand board. And of course, the immediate thought is that it must be full of formaldehyde. Um, but we need to back up. There's two different types of formaldehyde. Urea. Urea is the one that off-gasses. It's the one that they put in clothes and fabrics and uh, particle board, it just it's everywhere. In fact, formaldehyde is a is everywhere in our in our you know on our planet. It's one of the things that binds cells together. So, like in trees, the wood cells are bound together with formaldehyde. But one that's used in OSB is the one that does not off gas. In fact, all the OSB has a stamp on it that it's exempt from the California Air Resources Board, which is probably the most stringent air quality control agency in the country. And the reason it's exempt is because there is no uh, perceptible uh, formaldehyde that's released from it. And then the other product, of course, is the expanded polystyrene. It's it's an amazing product. It's only 2% plastic and 98% air. It's hard to it's hard to believe that, but when, you know I've, I've seen the scientific reports and it's true. Um, and so the plastic is a petroleum-based product, um, but the people that have come to me and yelled the loudest about the use of plastics have usually driven 50 miles, which burned up enough petroleum to build uh, enough sips for a couple of houses. And uh, when the product is made, there is a little bit of off-gassing, and there's several several plants in California, and when they do that, they have a hood over it. Again, part of the California Air Resources Board, they capture those gases and they're recycled and reclaimed. So once it's made, it is and aired off for a day, it is benign. There is no more off-gassing of any kind. So what about if you do have to cut into the panel, if you do find that you need to use the hot, the hot ball bearing, is that something that you would want to protect your self from fumes wise 
Uh, you could. It doesn't smell all that great. However, I have seen uh, a scientific report that compared the gases that are given off from a campfire with uh, dug for wood and EPS, and there's more contaminants in the uh, dug for firewood than there is from the EPS. Interesting. Yeah, I think it's your your point about the burning of petroleum is an interesting one, and and. I I agree, and the way the, also the way that I see it is, yes, plastic is not great for the environment, but what a great use of plastic! You know, it's going to last for forty, sixty, eighty years, and it's going to reduce your energy use for that entire time. So, you know, whatever detriment you have caused by using that petroleum product, I would think that is getting well offset by your reduced energy uses over the lifetime of the house. You bet. Yep. In fact, I I have a uh, life cycle analysis that's on my website. It can be downloaded. Can you explain what a life cycle analysis is for, for anyone who doesn't, hasn't heard of that? Sure. It's a study that, that uh, looks at the amount of inputs, whether energy or materials, that go into a material and then its usage throughout its life and then its end of life. Um, what are the impacts during that complete cycle? And it can be done on any type of building material and lots of other uh, types of products. I look forward to, to checking that out. I know that you have been working on a book and I want to ask you about your book. I have one more question before we get there, which is how about the weight of SIP? houses versus stick framed are they a little bit lighter are they significantly lighter like what's the weight differences um it's about the same uh, as stick built and maybe just a touch more um but it's it's comparable okay so you know if you're if you're trying to build an ultralight tiny for travel is sips a better option for a different reason well, yeah, and, you know, you bring a good point, you know, the difference between RVs and what we call tiny houses on wheels. You know, RVs are built super light so they can be pulled behind any kind of a vehicle or smaller ones, and everything is lightweight, and that's why they don't have a lot of insulation, and, they're, you know, they're not built with what we would, I would call real materials like the real windows and doors from a real house that we use in our tiny houses. If someone wanted to build a lightweight SIP actually could make your own by just taking a couple inches of a foam product and there are uh, adhesives you can use and do four by eight panels and glue them together and make your own. But you'd, you'd use, instead of OSB, a thinner, lightweight plywood product of some kind or maybe aluminum on the outside and wood on the inside. Sounds like a lot of work, though. Yes. Well, and the downside is, too, there's no testing for that product. One of the things with structural insulated panels is they've been tested, tested, and tested again. They squash them and smash them and crush them and so they know exactly how they perform. Got it. Tell me about your book. You know, what's it called? Who is it meant for? What, what inspired it? Well, I've been meaning to write this book for uh, 10 or 15 years, um, I had lots of different titles along the way, but again, with my experience, I work with a lot of owner builders. I, because SIPs are a little bit more expensive for at least for a larger building, and but they provide so much more. 
that a lot of the contractors that we were trying to reach out with initially with this product uh, didn't really care. So I ended up working with a lot of owner builders because they would read the trade journals and Sunset Magazine and find home building and they would see stories about structural insulated panels. And then they'd come to me. And so we ended up working with them through the design process and helping to get the shell closed down and oftentimes with questions all the way throughout the rest of the build. So I wanted to write a book that would help people uh, understand what they were getting into. Uh, last thing I wanted to ever do was encourage people to start a project, whether it's a tiny house on wheels or an accessory dwelling unit or a cabin or cottage in their backyard, and knowing that they wouldn't be able to complete it. So I want people to know what they're getting into. So that's a big part of the reason I wrote it. And uh, so I, we titled it, when we finally did get it done, Building Your Movable Tiny House with Mindfulness. Um, it was an opportunity for me to pass on some of my philosophy. Uh, I want people to come out, go through the project and the process and come out better people. I like that. I, and I think that living tiny really forces more mindfulness in a good way. But you really, first you take stock of all your possessions and then that inevitably leads to taking stock of relationships, friendships, careers, all these things. And so I think it's wonderful that you are bringing that mindfulness in to the design process because it truly needs to be there. Right. And it's a way to help stay sane through the process, <laughs> remembering, stopping, breathing, being here now as you go through it. What is the cost difference when it comes to, you know, a stick-framed tiny house with spray foam versus a SIPS house? Well, it's always going to be a little bit more upfront because the labor to build the envelope of your building is done in a factory instead of on-site. The advantage, of course, is the accuracy. It's all done with a CNC or computer-aided drafting and computer-aided manufacturing. So you get exact holes for your windows and as long as you tell me the right hole size that's the way they show up and then the other advantage is how quickly it goes together if you have a pile of sticks or studs thrown on your trailer and you and you're not a framer a um, couple things can happen one is it takes a long time to put it together and the other it may not get put together correctly because you don't know where the loads from the roof and the window openings and things are and where they should be landing. And because it is different building on a trailer. We don't have the luxury of uh, when we have a, it's called a point load. We can't just throw five pounds of or five yards of concrete there and a big steel bracket and put the post on it. It has to uh, spread evenly along the trailer edge. So those are the kind of things you may not know about when you're doing it with sticks if you don't have experience. We design uh, based on the PARC model, RV code. That's the NC American National Standards Institute A119.5. And a couple of reasons we do that. One, in Washington State, where I live, the agency that inspects RVs, PARC models, and HUD house manufactured housing um, says that tiny houses are a PARC model. Um, when the tiny house movement started again, or even back when I was doing it in the 70s, nobody cared about codes or 
Um, we just did whatever we had around and put it together. And, uh, and when this one started up, this movement in the current phase, it, uh, many people started out the same way. But thanks to the television shows and lots of press, the states and counties and cities all went, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? What are these things? And how are you building them? And why are you doing that? And so there's, a, as you know, Nathan, there's a, a large discussion going on right now. Uh, about what code we should use uh, because Washington says we're park models. I looked at it and it's, the thing that I like is it's a 34 page booklet in one or one form of it. And we include that with our kits. We do, we do our design for our trailers and our panel package, the shell of the building based on that. Our, and we encourage our clients to go ahead and continue to use that and then that way they can, if they wish to, have it certified by one of the agencies that will do that. And it gives them a real, a good sense that that's something that has been done correctly. So one thing that I like to ask all of my guests are, what are two or three resources? So that could be books or films or even people who have inspired your journey along the way. Um, and it doesn't have to necessarily be tiny house related. Sure. Well, I guess uh, there were several people that uh, that I worked here locally in the Northwest. Lena Menard was a, a big influence and lots of fun to work with. And uh, but as far as magazines and other resources, Tiny House Magazine, it's a PDF magazine that comes out monthly, is always full of good information. Uh, Home Power Magazine, which is a solar Wind Power and Green Building Magazine, and then Journal of Light Construction. I encourage all my clients to sign up for their online version at least. They have a, uh, a backlog that's searchable of uh, years and years and years of articles. And the thing I like about the Journal of Light Construction is it's written by professionals who work in that trade day in and day out. I caution people about uh, YouTube is much fun as I have watching on there. There are lots and lots of people who um, are glad to show you what they don't know. And they many of them start out with that. I don't know anything, but they spend an hour showing you. Uh, I appreciate what they do, but um, I think it's fun to see what professionals do if you're going to put that time and energy into your home. I like that. Well, Patrick Sugar, thank you so very much for your time today. I really enjoyed our conversation. Oh, great. It was fun spending time with you. Thank you so much to Patrick Shugru for being a guest on the show. You can find the notes and links mentioned in this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash Patrick. Do you like what you've heard? Please take a moment to head over to iTunes to rate and review the show. Believe it or not, your reviews are incredibly useful for helping other people find this show. Go to thetinyhouse.net slash iTunes to be directed straight to iTunes where you can leave your review. And finally, if you're looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house, check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house and comes in three different packages to help you get a jump start on your tiny house planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars with tiny house decisions. 
Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.